Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Hoping everyone's having a great second week of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Um, if you've been listening to our podcast for the last few weeks, you should know that um, all three of our hosts are extremely busy this month. Jess is busy helping out with CAMFest, which is the Asian American Film Festival up in the Bay Area, uh, while I'm busy with the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival here in Los Angeles. And Han is just swamped with APAM work over at Salon. So we weren't able to get together this week to record a new episode of Good Pop. So this week, we're tagging in one of our fellow Potluck Podcast Collective members, Quarantine Comics, to both celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and also Asian-hosted podcasts. Quarantine Comics Comics is a podcast hosted by Ryan Joe and Raman Segal, who discuss, debate, and nerd out on some of the medium's greatest, latest, and strangest works. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki to everything in between, Ryan and Raman aim to smash and talk for far too long on the books they love. The episode we're sharing is their discussion on Jean Luen Yang's 2013 two-volume epic, Boxers and Saints which tells the story of the late 19th century boxer rebellion in China, with Jing Luen Yang's signature magical realism injected into the complexity of historical events. This is great timing for us because Jing Luen Yang's breakout work, American Born Chinese, is being adapted into a Disney Plus series premiering later this month. So it's a great time to learn more about his other work as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode from Quarantine Comics. And don't forget to subscribe if you like what you hear. As always, you can learn more about Quarantine Comics and our other Potluck pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Please enjoy. You're listening to Potluck The way Jean Lun Yang uses the language of fantasy and escapism to describe their journeys, it's this sort of wish fulfillment. This is who you want to be. These are the superheroes that they look up to. Joan of Arc with her religious fervor and her fighting capabilities. These Chinese folk heroes who are reclaiming the land from the Europeans. There's something that's very relatable to that. When we were teenagers and were fantasizing about being Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, I was more into Green Lantern. Wait, were you really? Yeah, I imagine myself more as Green Lantern or The Flash. I never I mean, actually Spider- knew that about you, but I thought you were a Spider-Man fiend. I'm an equal opportunity superhero fiend. Tiptoe through a shiny city With our diamond slippers on Do our gay ballet on ice Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half away in a Happy Lunar New Year. Ryan, that's so culturally insensitive, man. I celebrate the solar New Year's. What is the solar New Year, by the way? I mean, I guess it has something to do with the sun, but but what is it? I don't know. This guy named Gregory told me about it. (laughs) Okay. You celebrate the thing that Gregory told you about. Did you even get the my my Gregor? It was a Gregorian joke because the Gregorian calendar. No, I didn't. I didn't. I did. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay, okay. Right, what the hell, Ryan? 
What what the hell, Ryan? Gunhi Fa Choi. I love me some Chao Su Bao. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Let, let, let me go back. I, I can go back. I can go back. I see. I see. I see what you're doing. You were. You were. That you, was a joke. you realize there's a see. There's a sequence to like I'm setting yeah. up jokes and then you're just like taking them off the freeway. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me do it again. Okay, here we go. Hey, Roman. Gunhi Fa Choi. Happy Lunar New Year. Ryan, that's so culturally insensitive. I celebrate the solar New Year's. Ah, praise the sun. You're one of those people. Now, I would ask how your solar New Year resolutions are going one month in, but my cat just took a giant shit right behind me, and it is really distracting. And also, after our discussion on the Alison Bechdel episode, I know you don't give a damn about exercise. What can I say? I love me some chow su bao. What on the outside full of pork on the inside? <laughs> I'm Roman Suggle. I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two old dudes who are still reading comics, but now have to start giving out little red envelopes to all the little kitties. Well, maybe we can stick little mini comics in the Lycee. <laughs> this week, we are reading cartoonist Jean Loon Yang's 2013 two-volume epic, Boxers and Saints, in honor of the Chinese New Year. Well, technically the Lunar New Year. As my wife constantly says, the Chinese aren't the only ones who celebrate it. <laughs> actually boxers and saints though tells the story of the late 19th century boxer rebellion in china from two sides injecting magical realism into the complexity of historical events and opium as well but are you sure this isn't an anglo-saxon christmas tale oh no old chum it's got bald dudes with ponytails swinging ancient chinese swords channeling the ancient spirits of chinese lore and a converted Chinese Christian youth channeling the spirit of Joan of Arc. Big fan of Joan of Arc. She was really hot, especially in her final moments. <laughs> I was hoping you'd have like a really good Joan of Arc pun at the ready, but you clearly didn't. <laughs> I like I like that one. <laughs> get it? Because she was burned. Oh, because it was an actual pun. <laughs> I didn't get that. All right. Wow. This two-part graphic novel was Yang's sophomore follow-up to his award-winning comic, American Born Chinese, which we have yet to read on this podcast. Boxers and Saints lays bare the foundations of extremism, rebellion, and faith, fighting for the glory of China, but at what cost? You don't need to read American Born Chinese when you've got American Born Chinese right here, Raman, every week. <laughs> so, Ryan, this is our third foray into the world of Jean Lun Yang. And even though we're not talking about high school basketball or the Ku Klux Klan, there's a ton of weird shit going on. So what'd you think? It was surprisingly dark, actually. And, and I think Jean Lun Yang's cartoony style sort of belies how the books ultimately turn out to be. One thing that is really interesting to me, especially with the boxers part, is how it starts off with the Joseph Campbell hero's journey sort of thing. And then it just takes a detour. Goes off the rails. <laughs> yeah. His journey gets darker and more morally complex until at the end, you're certainly not on board with it. And then, of course, what's really surprising is with the Saints part, when you see another side of, of that hero's journey. I was really surprised by it. And I, I really just enjoyed how much the narrative kept tricking me. Yeah. And honestly, to your point about Jean Lun Yang's style, it's just like some artfully simplistic, friendly tone that he draws in. You can't not feel at ease when you're reading his work. And then it just, okay, first people just get casually murdered. And like, okay, well, it's history. That's what happened in history. But when I first read it the first time, I 
was like, okay, well, I'm going to learn about the Chinese side of things and how the Chinese were in the right and they were fighting for their rights. And it's hard to pass judgment, but by the end, it's you're actually showing what the boxers were doing. Again, I don't know how historically accurate this is, but I would assume it was based on some of the research that he shows on the back pages. But it flips who were the good guys, who were the bad guys here. And I'm not saying either side is innocent, but by the end of the story, it's it's taking the Christian side. I feel well, like. I, didn't, I didn't necessarily feel that way. It's definitely dwelling in that gray zone where, for instance, you have this priest who shows up in the beginning and he clearly seems like the villain. And we can never say that he's completely like redeemed at the end, but we have an understanding in the... So the priest shows up in the boxers portion, destroys an idol, is a fucking asshole. Um, yeah. Total then, colonialist. These guys are savages. Yeah, and, and he is still in the saints section, but we do get a better sense of what makes him tick, what makes him human. And I think that's the trickery of this. You see people who seem like unequivocal villains, and then you realize that there is a humanity to them. And then on the flip side, you also see a lot of characters who come up, they're sort of like these plucky heroes. And you realize as they progress in their mission to sort of unite China, free China from the foreigners' influence, the moral cost of what they're doing, because they do make the decision to kill innocents, to kill women and children because they are Christian. And so there is this flipping, I guess, of your allegiances, of your sympathies that happens quite frequently throughout. And it's not just like suddenly, oh, the heroes turn into villains. It's They start to do something that you feel is like just uncomfortable with. And then you get back on their side. And then something worse happens. And so there's this constant pendulum swinging, I feel, especially in the boxer section when we're with the boxers. And we see their moral compromises as their mission deepens. Yeah, what's interesting about Saints is it's a shorter book. It's much more linearly told because you've already established the universe that this girl is inhabiting. And you already know you're walking through the universe that you read in boxers. So there's less zigzagging to her journey. It's almost comedic at at the front of it, right? Yeah. Her whole perception of the Christians is she calls them the devils. Even when she's like accepting Jesus, she's like, I'm accepting the devils. (laughs) It's almost endearing. I, I wonder... I don't know if this is what Yang set out to do, but he's a smart cookie and he's a thoughtful fellow. I I think this is almost like allegory to the world today. I think about as we sit here, there's debates on China and America on the world stage. There's almost like an allegory for seeing not just our side, be it us in America, us in the West, or us in China, us in India, us in Europe, and It's not black and white. There's a lot of gray. There are some black and white absolutes, but we're all guilty of them. Well, yeah. So I don't want to comment too much on the geopolitical situation in China because I don't know shit about it. But (laughs) you do see the roots of a lot of the Western hostility and why China is so aggressive now. During the time of the Boxer Rebellion, which is the early 1900s, the British foisted opium on them. They pretty much were colonized by the British. And so you see the roots of this suspicion of Western culture. And it's sort of metastasized today. China having been the whipping boy for so long, now it's China's turn to rise. I mean, that would I would guess that is sort of like the nationalist creed coming from that country now. And that's why there is that suspicion of the Western world, of Western culture, and of Western intent because of this colonialist history. 
Yeah, and it's almost like it's one thing to say because of colonialism hundreds of years ago, we are now reaping certain situations, right? Certain sentiments and feelings towards the West. And I think it goes without saying that the the sun never set on the British Empire. And because the sun never set, they, they got up to a lot of shit. But I think the other lesson is it's learning from history. The actions that we take today are going to have repercussions for hundreds of years, right? And I, I don't think that's a lesson people want to learn or accept because it's like, oh, no, we, we got it now. We've learned our lessons now. We're not doing that thing when in reality we are doing some bad things at home and abroad. Well, I, I mean, think that's a core tenet of American exceptionalism, right? And even and I know that's sort of a modern term, but even, you know, before the whole the concept of manifest destiny of like it is it is God's will that we colonize this entire land. I don't think that's unique to just the Western world. The Western world has had a monopoly on that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. East, okay, yes. Sorry, yeah, go the, on. The, the, Eastern, the Eastern world, if you go back further into history, has been guilty. And I'm not going to name oh, names yeah. on countries. Read a history book. But Japan, more importantly... Oh, no, Japan! Oh. <laughs> but what I will say is that's playing out today. Um, right. That's playing out with the other rising world powers. And China is a rising world power, just like America was a rising world power 100 years ago. And what's happening in Africa. So it's just like, it, I think it's a part of the human condition. I'm not trying to throw shade at any country, but I think it is part of the human civilization. If using that word in air quotes, we're prone to our wills and we are of sin. And when we are given power and technology and great societies, we are going to do things that are in our self-interest and maybe not the the common interest. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. No, just, this I is just, a cool comic book. <laughs> yeah, remember when we did Miracle Man, there was that quote in the end, London has been absolutely destroyed and Miracle Man finally takes over and he's just like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to build a palace here. And there's this line where he says, hey, there is no kingdom that was not built on a foundation of human bones. And that's, I think, incredibly true for pretty much every civilization that has prospered. It's always at the expense of some other country. But getting back to the comic, one thing that I, I, I think was really striking for me is the characterizations of both Bao and Forgirl for slash uh, Viviana. Viviana, yeah. The way Jean Lu Yank uses the language of comics and fantasy and escapism to describe their journeys. Bao, he and his brothers sort of become transformed into like the Power Rangers in a way. Yeah. Of course, instead of superheroes, they're Chinese operatic characters. Can I ask a literal question though, really quick? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, again, I know this is all like fantasy comic books. You're asking but... if they really transformed? Was it a Calvin and Hobbes thing? I think or it's was a, Calvin it a Calvin and Hobbes. I think it's a Calvin and Hobbes thing. What, yeah, which is which is actually interesting to me, right? Because th then both Bao and Viviana are having these hallucinations. But uh, one is, but but be clear, yes, hallucinations. But one is imbued with the Holy Spirit of these opera gods, and and so they they feel strong, they feel confident, they go just totally like kick ass with their superpowers and then they come down from their high when the holy spirit leaves them but viviana was just having interactions with the spirit the spirit actually wasn't giving her intelligence in the real world she was just having visions and so those are two very different things she didn't get the superpowers that 
uh, Bao and his buds do. I don't know if I mean if it's fair to say that Bao got superpowers per se because you shoot them in the head and they still go down, right? I mean, they fight with a certain ferocity, and you could say mm. that they're maybe imbued by a nationalist spirit, and I think that's mm. definitely signified by the characters that they turn into opera heroes. Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, Pig from Journey to the West. So, so these Chin, are Chen Chi Huang, the ancient emperor goes. Yeah, these are nationalist heroes, and that's who he transforms into. And what is his goal? Why to get the foreign devils out of China? And by contrast, Viviana is inspired by with by the religious fervor of Joan of Arc. And I'm not sure. Did Joan of Arc herself have hallucinations? I, I don't. That, I'm not. I'm not yeah, up on yeah, my history there because that might be a parallel between Viviana and Joan as well. So there's these. What, two- is, what, is, what is interesting is though they're both inspired to what action different, but they're both inspired by these historical figures and legends. They're inspired to yes, but and there's also. I remember we were talking last week when we talked about vagabond. I think it's a vagabond. Vagabond. It's this sort of wish fulfillment. Why were we into superheroes as teens? Why was I into Blade of the Immortal or Transmetropolitan in my 20s? Why was my cousin Sam into Vagabond? It's, it, in a way, it's sort of like this is who you want to be, right? And that's sort of what's happening with Bao and with Viviana. These are the superheroes that they look up to. Joan of Arc with her religious fervor and her fighting capabilities. And Bao, you know these Chinese folk heroes who are reclaiming the land from the British and the Germans and the Europeans. There's something that's very relatable to that when we were teenagers and were fantasizing about being Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, I was more into Green Lantern. I think- Wait, were you really? Yeah. I I imagine myself more as Green Lantern or the Flash. I never actually knew that about you, but I thought you were a Spider-Man fiend. I'm an equal opportunity superhero fiend, but the ones I imagined myself to be were- Yeah, I don't know. But the other thing, I get so much joy from reading Jean Lun Yang because of like the moments in the humor beats that he puts in. And they're not obvious humor beats, but it's just like, (laughs) I mean, I wrote down a couple of lines from each book that just really like made me laugh out loud every time I read and reread them. And so in Boxers, there's this whole thing about being men being polluted by women's yin Mm. (laughs) like it's childish but it's interesting it's this like interesting take on and all the propaganda of what the westerners were doing right isn't there an interesting parallel though also so when the priest is recalling his time i forgot where he's from is he from yeah yeah and he's saying he's looking at this pamphlet he's like man they sat these these chinese heathens they sacrifice their they sacrifice their young they're they're barbaric. I need to go there and save them. And then you also have this moment of propaganda in the boxer section, where one of the ah, one of the former yeah. allies of the Europeans is saying, exactly. "Those guys, they just bathe themselves in menstrual blood." The Europeans are freaking crazy. They're hairy, and there's actually a really compelling scene where that becomes a justification to do murder. There's a scene like right before, yeah, with the church at the church. with the church. He Bao is like. Tell me a story. I, he's conflicted. I don't want to do this. But tell me, tell, tell me, me a story about around me. Tell, up. And yeah, he, and then he gets like, "Oh, those those Europeans are, are are nuts. They drink. They destroy. They kill their their daughters. They, and then he sets the church on fire. It justifies it to him. Hearing those, hearing that propaganda gives him the the justification to commit murder. Well, and this is where it's 
not just historical fiction. It's allegory for the present moment. We can be whipped into a frenzy by othering others, right? Um, yeah. On the flip side of it, I man, the front half of Saints was just delightful. Like watching four girls transformation and choosing to like just look pissed off. <laughs> there's one. There's one quote, and this was my favorite. After all, being a devil does not excuse one from common courtesy. <laughs> Like just her her mannerism and her choice to effectively convert into Christianity for the snacks. <laughs> like just I think that might be the title of this episode. <laughs> Converting to Christianity for the snacks. But there yeah, is I mean, but again, it's it just starts out like just so it innocent. just starts out so fun it, and whimsical. Yeah. And then yeah. I think that that ropes you in to the darker darker personal story that yeah. you have to lay witness to because she's executed by bow at the end and i mean to her the, the final moment is for both characters really their their final moment is just a moment of complete failure for bow is this moral degradation this decision that ironically in trying to save china he sets fire to a library full of some very valuable ancient works he ends up destroying a large important part of its heritage and then the woman that he's in love with goes in to save the books and the the building collapses and she dies and it's just a complete failure for bow and then Similarly, for for girl, it's a moment of impotence. She has this fantasy of using the sword and saving the village, the missionaries that she's allied herself with, but it ends with her not being able to save anybody. And that is her final moment. And when you compare it to how both books open with Bao, like this whimsical child, for girl adopting this troll face in order to get attention. It's a really stark contrast. And those earlier moments are what really draw you into both characters. And so when you see what happens to them, it's impactful. I found this book. I remember when I first read it, wasn't sure what to make of it, but walking away with the, there was something very big going on. This book is ambitious because it's trying to do multiple things. And I think it succeeds at them, right? There's the historical fiction element, there's the allegory, there's the parallel path of the stories, there's the the whimsiness that just is Jean Lun Yang's style sometimes. Yeah. But there's just like some serious gut punches to to it. And I wonder if the gut punches hit harder because of the whimsical nature, because you can't help but like these characters. Yeah. And they do terrible things, some more than others, or they have flaws to them, but you're along for the ride with them. Yeah, and it hurts all the more when well, you see these things happen to them. ABC, American Born Chinese, it's a story of of identity, of personal identity. And then Dragon Hoops, of course, is this is the story of the of of this basketball team at Bishop O'Dowd High School. But even the author's journey. And the author's professional journey. This is about a country being ripped apart by European invaders. It's about countrymen turning on themselves and killing each other. It's about these violent fantasies. So we talk about stakes. This is the one book by Jean Lunier where the stakes are really life and death. And you follow these characters from their childhood to their deaths. Well, actually, in the case of Bao. But it's a complete failure for, for all of the characters. And there's also a moral corruption, especially to Bao. That's, that's incredibly tragic because we're rooting for him at the beginning. He's a plucky kid. Who's try who sees great injustice done to his people and he wants to make it right. And he trains to make it right. And he has this hero's rise and it 
ends in moral decay and failure. And that's, inc- that's incredibly dark compared to anything else that Jin Lun Yang has done. I, th- I think I've told you this. Like, one of the things I wish I would see in more movies, I think on this podcast I've talked about Happy Feet, but like, I want a movie, I want a story to end on a dark note and not a cliffhanger, a dark note. And that's what this book does. Yeah. That final panel of Bao having failed himself, his country, his own spirituality, and staring at... Now, I don't know what he's staring off. Is he staring out at a saved China? Is he staring out at a saved China at what cost? Or is he staring out at failure in that that final panel? I mean, knowing knowing the future, I mean, he's staring out at failure. I I don't know how how, how that can be anything but failure. He did not save his country. He compromised his own beliefs in order to save himself. And he is a murderer. You know what's missing from the end of the story is literally that page of prose that explains what happened in history after. Because I honestly, I don't actually know. Like I know about the Boxer and Saint Rebellion. I still haven't gone up and read up on it. What what did happen? Did the Germans and the British leave immediately? Like, or did they stick around? They, no, I they can't founded say- Hong Kong. So right, I can't say like I know exactly what happened. Well, what I know from about the Boxer Rebellion is what my dad has told me, and basically it all boils down to like the Chinese got their ass kicked. And I probably shouldn't talk about this because I'm actually coming from a place of ignorance. I, I know that it, it did not end well. It was not like a, a, a glimmering victory for the Chinese. It was not the end of Return of the Jedi. Got well, it. I, I will tell you what. Like so, um, so this is the 1900s, and then China continues to get its ass kicked by the Japanese in 1945. My grandfather was in the Chinese army. My family lost everything when Mao took over, mm. but my grandfather. I think ultimately had an admiration for for Mao. This is after he immigrated to the United States because what Mao did, he united China. I mean, despite the fact that so many fucking people die. So Cultural Revolution was 1966. This book ends at the turn of the century. Or no, this book ends at the, I'm sorry, incorrect. This book ends in in what, 1900? Yeah, roughly 1900. So 60 years till Mao so there is a lot of sh- – and the only other historical thing I can do off the top of my head is the Hong Kong lease, which was, what, 99 years from the British? The British leased Hong Kong, is, and I think that was a concession. So that – and Hong Kong got its uh, – became part of China in the 90s, so around the end of the Boxer Rebellion. Like, these things have to be linked. I'm genuinely curious what was China 1900 till the Cultural Revolution because it is uh, – I mean, m- much of it is empty for me. Interesting. Something I'm going to go find out. So, again, repeating my dad's research. Please. And most of it is... I'm sure your Auntie Pinky will correct us every email, so continue. And I think most of it comes from his research into why so many people from the southern part of China, for the Hong Kong region, ended up in California. So it, it was. this basically comes from his re- research of our family. But there were a lot of warlords, right? It was not a, a united country. There were a bunch of warlords, a bunch of bandits. The way to progress in your village is to take a bunch of tests and to go into like civil service. And that's how you elevate yourself. And you actually see that reflected in some of the dialogue in boxers. There's this importance of of working for the government. And that's your way out of this, like your shitty little village. And it's not a great place to be because like I said, there's bandits who are going to come and murder you and steal your crops. And that's why so many people decided how fuck this shit. I'm going to California where guys like Stanford are going to pay as big money, where we can go work on the railroads, go work on crops, go work, and then we can make a life there, make way more money, send it back to my family. 
in China. So it was a fragmented country. It was a country torn apart by different factions. And again, going back to what my maternal grandfather said, what he liked about Mao, why he eventually was a big fan of Mao's, despite all of the murder that happened under his watch, was because Mao united the country. Nationalism. It's a nationalism. I mean, do you see this today with India, with China, the Philippines, with Brazil, this nationalism of, well, they got shit under control. Like, you don't understand how bad it is. But this guy takes no prisoners. And I I could be speaking of Duterte. I could be speaking of Modi. I could be speaking of... There's this pride to the strong man. Yes, but you see in boxers the strength of nationalism, and I don't mean strength necessarily in a good way, the way Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. pull you into these violent acts, into justifying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things that ordinarily would be unjustifiable. And I think boxers, it begins as the hero's journey. And then it's this sort of almost critique of this nationalist movement that on the one hand is justified, but on the other hand, it goes way, way, way too far. the, The cost of it is extreme. And then I think with saints, you actually see the cost of that through the eyes of this girl who became a Christian because no one wanted her. I mean, it was Christianity that gave her a name. She was called Four Girl. She didn't even have a name with her family. She just had a number. And it was that religion that gave her a name. And so you see why she is attracted to it, why she's attracted to these foreigners who are, for all intents and purposes, invaders. It's because they're the only people who treat her like a human being. What I'm genuinely curious about, and we obviously know on this podcast that I I have a soft spot for Gene Lin Yang. He's one of my like comic book creator idols. So it's hard for me to say this, but I wonder if he has a Christian bias or a Western bias. And, I, and it's less about like I'm questioning his objectivism in writing this story, but I wonder what a Chinese person living in the the same way we live in the American Western media sphere, but a Chinese citizen living in the Chinese media echo chamber sphere, whatever you want to call it. If they were to read this after studying Chinese history the way they read Chinese history, you and I, we have clearly demonstrated we don't know enough about Chinese history in this conversation. So this American-born Chinese guy who we have a soft spot for because of his other pop culture works, we read his historical fiction. And so we take his side where he comes to certain conclusions or presents certain conclusions. But I wonder what the and obviously, I would imagine the Asian American population, we love this book. We like Jean Lun Yang, and I, I do. But I wonder what a Chinese person would say who studied Chinese history and grew up in that echo chamber. I actually wanted my friend Lin to be on the show because she is from Beijing originally and was educated was educated in China and Hong Kong. And so I, you know, I'd be curious about her perspective. But Well, if uh, you are Chinese, I mean, I put this out to all five of our, our listeners, including the one in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your Chinese friends to read this book. I, I I am genuinely curious. Like, I don't think I can get my father-in-law to read this. And my wife's, who's Chinese-American, her knowledge of Chinese history is pretty much yours, Ryan. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder what the Chinese-Chinese perspective is on this book. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if this book were produced in China, if it would get past the censors there. No, man. If Disney made this, and to, to be clear, Jean Lun Yang, his American-born Chinese, is going to be a Disney Plus show. And what's interesting, I think this would make a great animated series, of Boxers and Saints. I would watch the hell out of it. 
But I think if Disney produced it, it would not do well in the mainland or the mainland would block it. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You can't get past the the censors are really curtailing a lot of the creative energy that would ordinarily come out of that country. I was actually thinking about a lot of these Chinese films that I used to watch in the Hong Kong movies that were so explosive in the 90s and how there doesn't seem to be a lot of Chinese film that's exported. Though I, I, I understand, though, though I do think the... What again? I'm talking completely out of turn. I probably shouldn't, but I was I was reading that that a Chinese film actually became like the biggest box office hit there, bigger than any American film, relatively recently. So it seems like the industry might be robust within the country, but in terms of like exporting it, becoming like a soft culture power. Well, there's a limited amount of Western films that are allowed license to play there, and I'm reminded of my last trip to China with my in laws was in. 2012 2013 and i remember i at the time literally right before we were leaving i was reading one of farid zakaria's books called the future of freedom a liberal democracy at home and abroad and it was very critical of china but i wanted to finish reading it because i got this really long flight to china and i remember i don't know if it was my wife or a friend or someone that's like don't take that book and i was like i'm taking the book i want to read it on the flight and i totally wrapped it in a paper bag like a like a book because i was like I was like, am I going to get in trouble going to read this? And as we talk about, I don't know if I could take, I wonder if you can even take Boxers and Saints to China. <laughs> like, I, well, I genuinely wonder that. So uh, like my my cousin was dating a girl and she had a free Tibet shirt. And my cousin. Yeah, that's, that's a little. Uh, and my cousin said, yeah, wow. I mean, this is, they were, we're all Asian American, but they're going to meet the grandma and grandpa. And he's like, don't wear that shirt please. And she said, why? And he's like, well, they think the Dalai Lama should be shot. They think of him as a big troublemaker. Have I told you my Fantastic Four story about China? You did. Yes. <laughs> four means death. Hence, four girls. Four, yeah, that's the thing. Like Four girl not only just has a number, it's a completely disrespectful. It's a completely, it basically shows her stature, right? Yeah. So don't, don't wear a Fantastic Four shirt in China. Your in-laws will get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I got to ask, it's always hard, these episodes where we, I think, both like the book, to, to have a critical discussion and debate. And uh, and again, I, I have a soft spot and a bias for Jean Lun Yang, but would you recommend this book to, to other people to read? Yeah, this is actually my favorite Jean Lun Yang series, because I enjoyed Dragon Hoops. American Born Chinese, I read a long time ago. I remember liking it. And then Superman Smashes the Clan was okay. It was a typical superhero story. Obviously, it has the... I get it. it had, you like the clan and you were upset that Superman I, smashed yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm a big fan of the white hoods. Also worn by Catholics in Spain. <laughs> yeah. well, but Boxers and Saints is a lot more complex. There's a lot more moral complexity here. It challenges you, I think, in a way that his other books don't it challenges your assumptions in a lot of ways his cartoony art lulls you to sleep well not to sleep but it just it, it lulls your a sense your of safety a sense of safety yeah. yeah and then it really gut punches you and i also like books that are companion pieces essentially where you have mm. one story and then you have a completely different perspective with the other book there's actually one of my favorite series of novels is by a guy named Evan Connell. The first one's called Mrs. Bridge, and the second book is called Mr. Bridge. And it's about this married couple named Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. And you get one perspective of events in Mrs. Bridge, and then you get a completely different perspective of events in Mr. Bridge. And also what these books do is they reveal 
Like in Mrs. Bridge, her husband, Mr. Bridge, he's just there. He's her husband and he's providing for the family. In Mr. Bridge, you get a sense of who he actually is, which is a raging anti-Semite, which is you completely don't see in the first book. So I, I really like in Boxers and Saints how you get these two different perspectives of the series of events, of this incursion into China by Europe and the rebellion against that incursion by Chinese nationalists and how your sympathies shift, not just throughout boxers, but also once you get into saints, your sympathies are going to go back and forth as well. You could have just said yes. But (laughs) we need to have a critical discourse, Ryan. (laughs) So Ryan, I do have one more very important question. What question is that? What are we reading next week? So next week, we are reading Night Bus by the Chinese cartoonist Zhuo Ma. And I might have to re-record that because I probably didn't pronounce it correctly. Well, I heard it was the sequel to the Ozzy Osbourne song, Crazy Train. It is indeed. But also, in all seriousness, it's a very weird book. It's Lynchian in parts. It does not follow a very linear narrative. It's basically a study of dementia. It's just cheerful is what I'm trying to say. Raman, if you thought I wasn't going to give you some weird shit, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This is a very (laughs) odd book. I'm super curious what you think about it. It's at times very frustrating to parse through it. At times it's really, really exhilarating. At times it's really interesting. It goes from being very grounded to being very weird. Like there's a talking dog character running around in parts. So... That's next. Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> that's next. That's next week. Well, hey Ryan, Gunhe Fa Choi, Gunhe Fa Choi to you too. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. Qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.
Love.